Welcome back to the Badge and Beyond Inside the World of LVMPD. I'm your host, Joe Bartels. It's 2024, and we are excited for the new changes that will enable us to better connect with our community this year. We have some great news. Our website has been completely redesigned. Some of our favorite features is the ability to file a police report online, look at live traffic, and even submit a service request for your area. Thank you for continuing to listen to our podcast and listening to the stories of the people in our department. In this episode, we have a special guest, Lieutenant Richard Myers from our academy, who will provide us with valuable insights. This next half hour can be life-changing for many of you, as Lieutenant Myers will talk about the day-to-day experiences of being in our police academy. All right, Lieutenant Rick Myers, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Um, For the folks listening, kind of tell us where your current assignment is and what do you do day to day? Uh, Thanks, Joe. Happy New Year. Uh, So my current assignment is as the Academy Commander for the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department, Police Academy. I've been assigned there now approximately a year. Okay. And my day-to-day varies. Yeah. Uh, some days are very administratively heavy. Other days are I'm teaching at the academy. There's a couple classes that I teach. I try to sit in on instructors on a pretty regular basis to make sure that we're hitting our marks and meeting the standards that are required by the state of Nevada through post. Uh, so every day is busy. Uh, it's typically 10 to 12 hours a day at the office, uh, engaged with all three of my staffs and the recruits that are going at the academy. And so... Talk to us about your journey starting here at the police department. When did you start? And then kind of give us maybe the the stopping points, if you will, of your career throughout uh, here at LVMPD. Okay. I think the first important thing to note is born and raised in Las Vegas. Yes. Uh, at the time uh, that I got out of the Marine Corps, Las Vegas wasn't where I wanted to come back to. Uh, I tell every young person aspiring to get into this career 20 years later, I couldn't be more grateful Mm -hmm. to be here and be a police lieutenant with the the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department because of the opportunity. And the opportunities that I've had over the last 20 years, obviously I started in the police academy, the same one that I'm in charge of today. And uh, then I worked my patrol stint uh, for about four years. From there, I went to uh, our firearms investigation detail. that unit has morphed into what it is now, but then we worked covert uh, and undercover gun investigations in c- consultation with the Bureau of Alco- Alcohol, Tobio- Tobacco, and Firearms. Okay. Sorry, yeah. and uh, we were task force officers with them, uh, conducting cases on people who were prohibited persons in possession of firearms. I spent about three years there, and then I went to our repeat offender detail, more commonly known today as major violators. Spent another about three years there. Um, decided to test for sergeant. It didn't pass the first time. Uh, I got a good score, but they were only taking a few, about 30 plus ties. Okay. And I, at 94%, didn't make it. Wow. And uh, was frustrated by right. that. Um, but the next year, put a little bit more work, did things a little bit differently, and made it the following year. Nice. Uh, I spent about a year on the strip on Graveyard. So Las Vegas Boulevard. Uh, Probably saw a lot. Easily the five miles of the, probably what I think the most important property in the United States, certainly in the state of Nevada. And uh, I did, it was a great experience, but it's not conventional policing, uh, working down amongst the strips and with our security partners. And so after a year there, I left and, and went and did a little bit more conventional policing at one of our area commands. And I was asked to come back and work for the lieutenant that I worked at convention center for in our special investigation section. And I spent a little over two and a half years in our special investigation section on the swing shift, uh, covert undercover enforcement squad, uh, great experience in all of the different establishments here in our Valley, ensuring that they stay on the up and up and uh, criminal activity is not occurring there. 
Uh, from there, I went to our counterterrorism section, and I spent about two years in counterterrorism. A year and a little bit more of that was on the Joint Terrorism Task Force. As a sergeant over there, I had three detectives on the International Terrorism Squad, two detectives on the Domestic Terrorism Squad, and collaboratively, we brought information and, and worked cases with the police department and the FBI. Um, I unfortunately was the sergeant there in our one October attack, uh, which was challenging being a native Las Vegan to see that kind of horrible act occur in our city. Um, but I was so proud of the men that worked for me that day and, and the, the men and women that worked that case collaboratively around our agency and with our federal partners uh, to ensure that there were no additional threats to our police department uh, or to our agency, excuse, or sure. our area, excuse me. Uh, and from there, I promoted to lieutenant. I spent uh, about 12 months as a day shift watch commander. And so as a watch commander, I was a lieutenant responsible for all the policing operations that occur in our valley. Uh, left there to go get, again, more conventional policing experience as the watch commander. Then you didn't have any direct reports for you. And to get that personnel leadership experience, you have to go to an area command to get it. So I spent about six months on graveyard again as an area command lieutenant. And then I went to our uh, Homicide Sex Crimes Bureau. And in the Homicide Sex Crimes Bureau, I thought I was going to get the last job that I would have on this agency that would take me to retirement. And I spent about two years as a sex crimes lieutenant with a plan to relieve then Lieutenant Ray Spencer and take over homicide. And I had a weekend where I had five murders in 36 hours, which is a heavy lift for that position. Yeah. And uh, really had to reflect on some personal decisions with some guidance from people within my life. And my career took a complete curveball. And I ended up being the lieutenant in charge of recruiting backgrounds and polygraph, which is somewhere that I've never worked. And uh, no better challenge, though, than leading a recruiting section in policing after the terrible incident of the murder of George Floyd and convincing people on why the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department does it right and why to come here and get a career with our agency. And, and I loved that opportunity and thought it was going to be my last. Yeah. And then Lieutenant Misty Pence reached out to me and asked me, would you be interested in taking over the police academy when I retire? And I can think of no better way for me in my final years on this organization to give back to this community than to have a coal in the fire of laying the foundation of the next generation of police officers. And that's where I sit. Yeah, that's where you're at right now. And I was just telling you a story that I was going through my Facebook the other day in my previous career as a TV reporter, and I had seen a photo during the COVID era, and you were leading a, a news conference uh, for your previous assignment in the homicide sex crime section. So I guess it just goes to show, and you've talked about this several times, is that each one of these positions that you've held throughout your career here, in the private sector, those are completely different. I have to leave the industry that I'm in, or the career I'm at, or the job that I'm at to do something else, but you have never left this organization. You have just simply gone into um, another assignment. So I guess it goes to people who are listening. If you're not, if if you have some wonderlust or you want to try something else, this is their department maybe to do that, right? Yeah. And not even, it doesn't have to be on the commission side, Joe. So as a commission police officer, commission corrections officer with this agency, our civilians have that same luxury. Uh, right. When I was in recruiting, uh, they kind of developed a Metro has a home for everyone. And, uh, and that's fairly accurate so long as you're a law-abiding citizen and, and don't uh, want to violate people's rights. We do have a home for everyone here. And one of the things I tell our police recruits is I challenge you to do every job that this agency has in your 30-year career because it's impossible. You, right. can't, you can't do everything that's out there. And, 
and I've really only scratched the surface uh, when I leave and go on to whatever's next, there are still a few stones that I've left unturned on this agency that I didn't have the opportunity to do those jobs. Yeah, you haven't flown the helicopter yet. Ridden in it, but never flown in it. Um, K-9, right? There's so many different things you can do. Uh, Well, Lieutenant Myers, I want to talk about the police academy and, you know, what are some of the core values and principles that LVMPD, the police academy specifically, aims to instill in recruits? So the first thing is we follow very closely and we really instill it's on every wall in our academy, the I care values of this agency. Uh, Those those are the foundation of every employee on this organization. And so we strive to reinforce that into every one of our recruits. and make them understand that the public expects integrity, courage, accountability, respect, and excellence when they go out there and they police this valley. Uh, The next is really discipline equals success in our police academy. Um, We had a a recruit class recently that went through some testing, and what I tell them every time in the testing is, you know what you're about to endure in this testing procedure because we've worked them through those processes. They may not know exactly where the, the... dot goes on across the I that they're going to get or the, or the cross the T, the period at the end of the sentence. But there's not going to be anything crazy that they see in their scenarios. They just have to be disciplined and study what is given to them and be prepared for the testing events. So yeah. discipline equals success. And, and the academy, both police academy and the corrections officer academy are both designed for the success of every recruit that wants to be there. That's the key. Right. And so um, how does the LVMPD Police Academy focus on really ensuring that recruits are physically and mentally prepared? Because it's it's mental, a lot of the training that also goes into this, right? It absolutely is. And it starts with testing. I speak at every testing event, minus one or two a year because my schedule just doesn't allow it. Uh, and I, I don't hold any secrets back. The academy is paramilitary. There's a reason why we induce stress. In fact, I talk to that testing group and I have them engage in conversation with me. Because what I learned in 2020 is one horrible mistake from a peer, and I call it a peer because at the time he was a police officer, hundreds of miles away from Las Vegas can make my officers have to stand and and work what started as peaceful protests and turned into horrible riots with officers getting hurt and citizens getting hurt because of the things that other people in that riot are throwing and things of that nature. Right. And so um, we want to induce stress uh, especially at the beginning of the police academy because police work is stressful and we have to let these people know that they can work through the stress of the police academy. It's not because we enjoy being paramilitary and and yelling and screaming and all of those things. That's not why. We have to make them understand that they can work through that adversity and the stress of the police academy, right? And then um, the physical training is important because the public expects, and this is what I tell the recruits all the time, on their worst day, the public's worst day, that's when they pick up the phone and call 911. And that could be that recruit future police officers day one. And what the public doesn't know is that a day one trainee is coming to their worst day. And it could be that day one trainee's worst day also. And so they need to be physically and mentally prepared through the physical training basics that we give them at the police academy to deal with that person's worst day and get them the help that they need. The second part of that is uh, Sheriff McMahill has made it very clear that emotional well-being, mental health, physical health is important to him. And it's one of his top priorities. In fact, he stood up the mental or the wellness bureau Mm -hmm. on account of that. Right. And so we have to some people have never had formal physical fitness training until they get to the police academy. 
we have to give them that foundation. Right. And then we have to reinforce that foundation with why they need to do it throughout their career. Because what we know is when I got on this agency, it was not uncommon for people to retire and have a heart attack shortly thereafter because of the endorphins of adrenaline going through that heart, right? Mm-hmm. And if we've not induced that heart into stress and we continue to stress that heart out through physical activity, those endorphins, when they disappear, are going to cause the heart to have its own stress. Mm-hmm. And so the, the PT goal is to continue that post-police academy and lay a foundation for the rest of the life. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, What strategies or initiatives are implemented to really ensure that recruits, they understand and embrace the maybe diverse nature of policing, but also our community? And you kind of touched on it, you know, during the, during 2020, um, there was, you know, there was maybe a disconnect that we had with maybe parts of our community, both um, racially or maybe, you know, with age as well. So how do recruits understand and embrace the the diversity of our community? So I think uh, the first point of that is I don't know that we had a disconnect. Uh, in fact, I would think our community did a lot better because we had those community partners, sure. unlike other places, to help us get through that hard time. And our violent protests, we found out were a lot of people coming from outside of our community to create that chaos, right? Um, so I think as an agency, we've been doing pretty good with that. I want to start with recruiting. And when I was the recruiting lieutenant, I was on um, the... Uh, Sheriff's Multicultural Committee Recruiting Subcommittee, mm-hmm. where members of the Sheriff's Committee from different cultures come together and we talk about strategies to recruit in different communities. And those strategies have looked like um, having testing events on the weekend, right? Because the the workier, the, the working man or woman can't get off work generally exactly. between eight and five. Right. Convenient schedule for us, right? So we have to adjust our schedules to make those work. And then holding those testing events within different communities of our uh, neighborhood. So we had testing events over in the historic West side. We've had testing events on the East side of town, predominantly Hispanic area. We've brought that test to different areas of our community to try to make them uh, have a little bit more convenience to get to the test, but then also to get out into the community and still get out there and, and, and meet people and shake hands and make them understand that as police officers, we're human beings too, right? So it starts there. And then now at the police academy, um, we continue that with Mr. Ramadan, and who is also part of the sheriff's multicultural committee. He comes in and he speaks to our academy, recruits at a couple different times during the academy, and then um, during field training, he also has continued interaction with our new officers as they're going through the field training process. And he also partners with some other community partners where they have adopt a cop cop mm-hmm. week, and they go out into the community. And, and meet with our community partners. And many times they're not even in uniform. It's just to, to develop that bond with different members and, and groups throughout our community. And then at some point, they'll learn that they're a police officer. And that kind of helps to bridge that gap with our different communities within Las Vegas. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's one thing to, to talk about it, but it's really implemented at, look, sounds like various stages, both uh, you know during training, um, during the academy, and then even afterwards, um, you know, folks are really integrated with the community and really get to build those authentic relationships, which you mentioned are, you know, so, so critical. I want to touch briefly on the continuing education opportunities and the training that goes on even after the academy. So just because the academy is over and you've got your badge pinned on and you're out on the streets, the training doesn't stop, does it? No, it continues. And it just gets harder, to be honest. Yeah. Um, 
I tell our recruits that the public's expectation is that we get it right every time. And the only way we can get it right every single time is by continuing to train to get it right every single time. And so when they finish the 1,050 hours of the police academy and they enter field training, there are training days set aside with those field training squads where the trainees are put through additional scenarios, where they continue to take tests through the field training program. And then once they graduate field training, it doesn't stop. Um, There's mandatory required training that our officers around the agency, all ranks have to complete annually. And then there's voluntary training. And I tell young officers all the time, um, the public expects in the 40 hours of your work week that you're out policing the streets. And so there are times where you may have to, to make yourself better, to continue to progress your career, do some training on your off days, work with your leadership about your time and, and, and make sure that that's getting taken care of. But to continue to sharpen that sword and to be the, that, that best police officer that we have on this agency, uh, you have to continue to train and take the opportunities that the agency is giving you. Uh, the agency pays a lot of money to different training organizations to come in here and train our officers. And they might fall on one of our officers' days off, but recognize the the value of that training, what you would have to pay on the outside to go get it, which many of our peers have to do at other police departments. And I think that's something that our officers sometimes forget and lose sight of, especially as they get tenured throughout their career. There are agencies that don't spend a whole lot of money on their training. They don't bring in outside trainers to make their officers better, to make their detectives better. And this agency does that. Yeah. I know you've probably seen since you've been in the um, police academy over there, um, hundreds of faces, hundreds of stories, hundreds of um, people that you've interacted with. Is there a memorable story or a success story that someone has really overcome a lot of maybe hardships or hurdles and ultimately made it? So there's two. Uh, There's one that's not hardships and hurdles, but I think it's an example of the type of caliber people that we're attracting. For sure. Uh, recent class, we had a Marine Corps drill instructor. And for those that don't know, Marine Corps drill instructor school is one of the hardest schools in the Marine Corps, right? Yeah. For that person to take off that rank, which are going to be a non-commissioned officer, a staff non-commissioned officer in the military, and come to our police academy and subject themselves to the paramilitary discipline of the academy and the studying requirements, all the requirements that we have in the academy, just shows the caliber of human beings that we are uh, attracting to come mm-hmm. to our police department, right? And then as far as a success story, we had a recruit uh, who actually started when I was in recruiting. Uh, she was a single mother of multiple kids, um, doing it all on her own. Didn't right. have much of a support network, minus her mom who was assisting her with some things. Um, wasn't quite there ready to go to the police academy. There were some things that she was still dealing with. And she worked with our recruiting detail, who's phenomenal. For anybody listening, if you're interested in becoming a police officer uh, or corrections officer with this agency, please go to Recruiting's Facebook page. They post on there all their test preparations, PT preparations, and she took advantage of those things. And over the course of six months to a year, she got herself ready to go to a police academy. And it was awesome because I saw that start as the recruiting lieutenant, and then she was there in my first police academy. Uh, But she faced hardship there too. Yeah. Uh, her challenges at home didn't stop because she was in the police academy, but she overcame them with communication and talking with her tax staff. And then the second part is she she actually failed part of the academy, uh, but we have a recycle program. Uh, and when I say fail, she just didn't pass one test. Mm-hmm. And we have a protocol in place. She was recycled into the next class and she did phenomenal the rest of the way through that class. And from what I understand is doing phenomenal out there as a police officer now. That's great. And so... 
I would tell anybody who thinks, oh, I've got this going on in my life. I've got that going on in my life. First of all, take the test. The test is good for uh, at least 12 months. And I think it's actually 18 months. I'd have to confer with recruiting and you can ask them for that specifically, yeah. but take the test and then work on getting whatever that is in order to come to the police department. Because when they come to the academy, they do have to have their personal life in order so that they can focus strictly mm -hmm. on the police academy. Again, life happens, right? And what I tell every testing group is communicate. We expect communication both through the background process and through the academy process. My TAC officers are parents. My TAC officers have worked around policing for a long time. They're hand-selected to come to that position. They know how to deal with life's challenges, whether it be a baby, whether it be um, a car accident, whether right. it be a significant other having medical issues. We'll work with you through those things. Uh, don't let them be the reason why you don't come, but get them in order before you come to the academy. Awesome. I wanted to ask you about graduation. So someone who's gone through this rigorous training and now it's time for the day for graduation to get their badge pinned on, take the oath of office. Um, Lieutenant Myers, I guess, what's that like for you to lead this? Because you're up on stage, you're part of the, the ceremony, but maybe set the scene for people who haven't been to one or they're listening to this. What's it like? Uh, the first answer to that question. Yeah. The best part about my job is I know the behind the scenes. Right. I know the challenges that each of the recruits had because I get briefed by my sergeants. I know what they had to overcome to get there. Yeah. Right. Uh, the crowd doesn't know that we don't advertise that, but the beauty of watching them get that badge pinned on by the sheriff or their loved one is they overcame all of those things and they're now getting ready to go out and police this Valley because they earned it. Yeah. We don't give it away. They earned it. And the sense of pride that you get to see in the audience and the family members, um, the recruits that graduate that have kids and the ability to see those kids, wait, my dad's a police officer, my mom's a police officer now, they get to come and, and give that hug. Or maybe the extended family that comes and doesn't know about the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department and the family that we are, right? They get to see that at that graduation. And maybe where they live, the relationship with law enforcement isn't what we have in this community. Um, but we really put that on center stage and... Uh, as a staff, we always say each graduation has its own uh, kind of flavor, kind of yeah, kind of feeling about right. it, right? And uh, I, one thing that Sheriff McMahill and Under Sheriff Walsh really have done is is allowed that familial interaction and and really encouraged the party, right? right. In, in a controlled setting, uh, obviously within yeah within yeah. reason, <laughs> uh, but it, it's a it's a party setting. These people have worked really really hard to get there. Now, what I always remind them. The work's just starting because when they were in the academy, that was a sterile environment. I could control everything that happened to them from day one to day graduation. Yeah. What I can't control is like we talked about before, that first call on that person's worst day. Mm -hmm. And so while that's a celebration day, they have to focus on what's next because it is not controlling more. It's not a sterile environment. It's the reality of policing. Yeah. And you know, in my position, I'm at many of the graduations, police or otherwise, and you're right. It, the undersheriff and the sheriff encourage people to shout and celebrate and yell. And we've had family members that are called up on stage to take photos with the sheriff, undersheriff. Uh, people bring signs. So it's, it's really a, a party and a celebration. And, you know, a lot of pride, it seems, from a lot of family members when they come to these great graduations. Uh, as time is kind of running out, I want to ask you, um, in terms of training and, and technology, the advancements are pretty incredible. How do you get these recruits 
I guess, up to speed on some of the new or emerging technology or techniques throughout the academy? So the goal is to implement it into the academy. And one of the things we're doing with this academy that starts this month is it'll be the first all digital academy. Wow. We're going to try that. Um, it's a challenge for us as a staff to, hey, we didn't think about X, it's going to cause Z. And that's what we're working through right now as we get ready to start this academy. But the reality is when I started this job, we had hundreds of different pieces of paper that we took out to work with us every single day. We pulled out a piece of paper and we filled it out. Our officers can leave a substation with no paperwork to support them other than a notebook to write some notes until they start doing their report on their tablet. Mm -hmm. And so we need the academy to look like that. Sure. Technology is ever changing. Um, we bring in outside units to come and brief our officers on where their technology is going, Fusion Watch, things like that, what to expect when they become a police officer. Uh, but staying on top of technology and then making it a priority is one of my number one things. The other thing that I, I, I think we really have to focus on is continuing, as I said before, what Sheriff McMahon said with mental health. Mm -hmm. uh, we brought back emotional survival for law enforcement at the police academy. Our officers, or recruits, excuse me, are encouraged to read that with a loved one. And then chapter by chapter, once they're in the academy for a little bit, they start getting those assignments. They bring in a paper and they talk about what they read, discussed with their loved one and, and the perspective. The other thing we did is we have a family night for the police academy. We also now have a family night right before graduation for a field training. Because as my loved one leaves the sterile environment of the police academy that I talked about. Mm -hmm. I don't know what to expect in field training, and neither do they really. Right. They go through an intro to FTEP class, but they don't know what they're about to get into. And so we invite families back into the academy, and we have that introduction to FTEP, and it's great uh, engagement back and forth. We have peer support there. We have our... Um, we have our chaplains come in. There's all that engagement and then our FTEP program. And so we get positive feedback from the families. And the other thing that uh, I read a, an article from uh, a law enforcement uh, online uh, periodical, and one of the counters is a lot of the militaristic of law enforcement, right? And I told you about the paramilitary and why we do it and the need for induced stress. But what I don't want my legacy to be is that I produced robots to become police officers. And so there's a point at the academy, I'm not going to say what it is because we don't want mm -hmm. our uh, future recruits to know exactly, uh, where we, we really start to have them engage. We want them to talk. We don't want them to leave the police academy and be this robotic structure. And so when they hit that point in the academy, no longer do they have to stand at attention when members of the agency walk by. They are supposed to stand and engage that member in conversation. Good morning, sir. Good morning, ma'am. How are you today? And then pick out, sir, why did you pick to wear the tie that you're wearing today? And all of that is to elicit conversation with that person so that as that recruit leaves and goes and become a police officer, they are now learning how to elicit conversation with the public. Yeah. Because we don't want that robotic, militaristic police officer out there. We want them to be able to switch to their training and take control and be able to command a scene provide calm to the chaos, let citizens know where they need to go, but they need to be able to get down on a knee and hug a, hug a child if, if that child needs it and not be that robot that uh, generationally it's been looked at law enforcement has been. So hopefully those are some things that we're trying to take into the future. Some of it's already been implemented in the academy and, and we're, when we make changes, we have to fine tune those changes. And so that's what we're doing. Wow. Things are always constantly changing, fine tuning things and you know, there you are the, the the best person. You know, I think in this this agency to lead the police academy and help mold those future officers that'll be hitting the streets. So, thank you, Joe, uh, Lieutenant Myers. Thanks so much for joining us on this this episode, and we appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to explore the LVMBD Police Academy. 
We hope this episode provided a glimpse into the Academy's commitment to excellence in law enforcement and education. Special thanks to Lieutenant Richard Myers for sharing his expertise. Also, if you're interested in becoming a member of the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department, you can email recruitment at lvmpd.com or check out their website, protectthecity.com. Join us next time for more intriguing discussions. Don't forget to subscribe and share your thoughts on this podcast. And as always, thank you for listening.